in Jesus' name. Amen. I think something that uh, about probably 99% of us can agree on is that waiting is no fun. Anyone with me this morning? Most of you do not like to wait. Uh, I would argue some of us are better at waiting than others, but uh, waiting, no matter how good or bad maybe you are comparatively, it's always hard, right? But some of you are pretty good at waiting, I would guess. Uh, For example, uh, in a few weeks, it'll be Thanksgiving, and you will go to the grocery store, and it will be crazy and mobbed, and you'll be waiting in line for 15 minutes just to buy your turkey, when all of a sudden you'll hear this angelic voice call out, next available, line four. And some of you are good at waiting, right? So you will offer it up to the person behind you. You'll say, after you, ma'am, and you'll walk them over and help them unload their cart. The rest of us are like scratching and clawing and pushing to get our way through, right? Because some of us are bad at waiting. Others of you, uh, I know, here today are actually really awful at waiting. (laughs) Like you are embarrassingly bad at waiting. And uh, I say this because I know that some of you have already started to listen to Christmas music, and you haven't even been able to wait until Thanksgiving. And this is terrible and awful. You're just bad at it. We don't need to name names or point fingers. I won't tell you the name of the person that I live with that has been listening to Christmas music. Bad at waiting, uh, some of you. Uh, But whether you're comparatively good or comparatively bad at waiting, it's always hard. Uh, That being said, there are different kinds of waiting, right? Not all waiting is equal either. You have waiting in line at the grocery store, not fun, we don't like it, but then there's waiting for the test results from the doctor. Two different, completely different kinds of waiting. There's waiting for your favorite movie to come out or waiting for Thanksgiving to come so you can turn on the Christmas music and uh, then there's waiting for the job offer that you've been waiting for for years. You've been out of work. Uh, not all waiting is equal, and some waiting is actually much harder than the rest. And, and I think that the hardest kind of waiting that any of us experience is when you're waiting without any hope. Right? It's hard to wait when you're hopeless. Uh, let me just give you one example. I think most of you know what this is like. Uh, this is a picture that I took just this week. <laughs> First week in November, it was already snowing here, right? And Uh, I don't know what you think when you see this picture of outside church here and you see the snow. I don't know what you thought when you opened up your windows Monday morning to see that snow falling. Some of you have a twisted sense of beauty and you thought this was like the greatest thing ever, right? It made you feel warm inside. You were drinking your hot cocoa, wishing it was Christmas, listening to your Christmas music. Uh, Others of us were trying to see if we could afford a ticket to Arizona or something. Uh, But uh, whether you uh, thought this was beautiful or not, right, here's what I do know. I don't know where you are today, this week, with the snow, but what I'm pretty sure of, 99% sure at least, is that come March, none of us will want to open our windows to see this, right? (laughs) Uh, Come March, this scene and the snow that will be on the ground, and it will be here come March, uh, that will be a scene of hopelessness, right? We will have been waiting for spring to come for four months And you'll get like a 40-degree day, and your your hope will rise, and then you'll wake up the next morning, and you'll see more of this, right? And come March in Chicago, you see a lot of long faces. It's been four months of clouds and dreariness. And many of us, we've just given up hope. This happens every year to me. Every year, I'm like, this is it. This is the year. It's just going to snow until next uh, November, right? This is the year where we will have no spring, no summer. And it's hard to wait when you don't have hope, when you wake up. Every morning, and this 
is all you see. Uh, This uh, is something that I think the people of Israel that we read about today could understand. Uh, They knew what it was like to wait without any hope. They were living in a very hopeless world. Our our reading for today was from the book of Isaiah, chapters 5 and 11. Uh, There was some gap there. We were jumping around a little bit, but I think two chapters that really play nice together. Now, you may have heard the reading that Marty read for us earlier, and maybe you were kind of lost, and I, I think that's normal, so... Uh, that's okay. We're going to talk about it this, this morning. It's, it's hard sometimes to read these Old Testament prophets because their cultural and historical reference points are different than ours and we're not always sure what it is they're referring to. So let's, uh, let's go through it. Our, our reading for today started actually not with a scene of, of hopelessness, but with this beautiful vineyard that was painted for us. Isaiah, this, this prophet, he's painting us a word picture. And uh, the image that he's laid before us is this beautiful vineyard. And he, and he says that this vineyard, this beautiful vineyard, it has an owner, uh, a master of the vineyard, a, a man who's in charge. And the, the man who's planted this vineyard, he has done everything right. He's, he's chosen to plant the choicest of vines. He's tilled and readied the soil. He's put these hedges and walls Uh, around the vineyard to protect it and and keep it safe. Like this man, whoever he is, he has poured everything he has into his property. And to him, this vineyard is not just a piece of property. It's not just some land, right? It's almost like his child, right? He loves this vineyard. He put a watchtower in the middle so he could live in the vineyard and and look out over it. And, And we heard at the end that after pouring everything into it, right, he's done everything right. He's gone above and beyond. And, and then he puts this wine press in it so that when the harvest come, when the grapes come about, that he can enjoy the fruits of his labor. But the only problem is that there are no fruits of his labor, right? He expects to see some grapes. He's put in all this work. He's done it right. He's gone above and beyond, and yet there's nothing. And so in his anger and his frustration, the owner of the vineyard, he, he walks away. Uh, he, he tears down the walls on his way out. He lets the weeds come and the thickets and the thorns grow so, so that by the end, right, this is what the vineyard ends up looking like. It, it was supposed to be this place of beauty and bounty. The, the man had poured his love into it, but now it turns out it looks like this. It's hopeless, right? You, you could wait centuries for a grape to come, but not from this. Nothing is coming. This is a place of lifelessness. No matter how long you wait, there seems to be no hope. And that's the image that Isaiah has painted for us today. Now, maybe you were reading this and hearing this, and you, you weren't quite sure what the point was, though, right? You, you probably realized, if you're listening, that it wasn't just about a vineyard. There had to be some deeper spiritual meaning. And uh, thankfully, we, we get the interpretation of it uh, in the story. Uh, we're told... Uh, that this beautiful vineyard was not just a vineyard, that it was there to describe God's people. The God's people, his family, the people of Israel, they were the vineyard, and the man in the story, that was God. God had poured everything he had into his people. He had loved his people abundantly. He had walked with them and, and guided them. He had protected them. He, he wanted to live and, and dwell uh, among them. He had, he had done everything possible. Right? He had gone above and beyond. He had set his people, Israel, up for success. There's nothing more he could have done. And yet when he looked at them, 
right? Expecting to see some fruit. Uh, we heard it in our reading. He expected to see things like justice and righteousness. He, he thought, after everything he had done, he might look at these people, the vineyard, and, and, and see them caring for the poor and uplifting the widows and welcoming in outsiders, right? But he doesn't see any of that. Instead, God looks at his people that, that should have looked like this, and, and he sees this, <laughs> right? And and they have completely rejected him. They've rebelled against him. They've bowed down to foreign false idols. They've, they've committed themselves and entrusted themselves to these foreign armies looking to, to foreign powers for protection. Their hearts, which should have been right and just, are now filled with greed and jealousy and anger. Right? And, and so, as much as God loves them and as much as he's poured into them, he lets them have what they want. Right? He lets them go their own way. If they want to bow bow down to false gods and follow foreign leaders, he will let them. But this is what it looks like. The weeds and the thorns have grown up. The the, the idols can't really answer their prayers. The foreign armies are not going to help them. The the, the dark paths their hearts have taken, right, are not going to lead them to good places. And so by the end, this is what God's people look like, this barren, abandoned wasteland of hopelessness. And and God's people, they were waiting for centuries for something to change, right? As, as they looked at their lives, they, they saw how bad it was, and, and they hoped and they prayed that maybe God would remember them and, and that things would be right, or, or maybe they thought they could turn themselves around and something good would come, but it was a hopeless place to wait. Now, I, I think many of us know what it's like to live in a place like this, uh, to live in a place of hopelessness, right? It's It's hard when you're waiting, maybe, for the cancer to go away, either for you or your loved one, and you're waiting and you're waiting, but everything the doctor has said, all the treatments you or your loved one has gone through aren't working. And it's hard to wait when you live in a world like this, or or when you sit down at the table, right, to to go through your bills, uh, and and you look at your student loans, or maybe your credit card, or or the mortgage, and and you expected the number to go down, (laughs) because that's supposed to be how it works, but instead somehow it's going up, and it's a hopeless place to wait for, for that debt to go away. Or, or, or maybe you're waiting for a relationship in your life to be restored. Maybe it's your spouse or maybe it's your child and you just want nothing more for them to call you again and for forgiveness to flow. But you've been waiting a while now and you haven't gotten the phone call and there have been no I forgive you. And it's a hopeless place, a hard place Wait, I, I mean, all of us see this, at least in part, when we turn on the TV, right? And you watch the news. There's a lot of reasons to be hopeless. And, and maybe you have noticed this on the news. It's nothing new, I don't think, but it, it is kind of a trend. Uh, where on most of the news programs, whatever channel you watch, most of them try to end with some feel-good story. Have you noticed that? Like they'll talk about the dog that was found on the other side of the country, reunited with the owner, or some little girl who's collected blankets and given them to a children's hospital, right? Many of the news programs try to end with something hopeful, which I think is good. Don't get me wrong. In fact, I think there's a lot more of that that we never hear about and we need to hear more of it. But you do have to kind of laugh, right? The news will fill you with 29 and a half minutes of just soul-crushing hopelessness and then like, oh, here's 30 seconds at the end. (laughs) Leave and be hopeful. Like, it doesn't work that way. Uh, Many of us, at least at different times in our life, maybe uh, a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade, have felt like we're living in that kind of world. Uh, I want to bring you back, though, 
uh, to that winter scene I showed you in the beginning. I mean, that was a hopeless, hopeless to live in Chicago in March, waiting for spring to come, and it feels like it never will. Uh, but you know what happens sometime late March, maybe some years, it's April. <laughs> you know what you end up seeing somewhere along the way? And I promise this will come. It doesn't feel like it now, but I, I promise it will. Eventually, you'll, you'll look out your, win- your window and you'll see this, but then maybe the next day you'll see this. <laughs> Right? And that is like the most beautiful, hopeful thing, right? Those little crocus flowers that come up out of the snow. We get some right by our front door, uh, by the tree out there. And when, when you see that crocus flower, right, it, it changes everything. One minute, you've given up hope. Spring will never come. And then all of a sudden, there's the crocus. And, and, and the crocus flowers are, are the sign that spring is here. There's still some snow. <laughs> but spring has come. And, and the Crocus flowers remind us that there's a whole lot more coming. That you look at the crocus flower and suddenly you have dreams of, of bonfires and leaves on the trees and flowers and, and outdoor parties and walks in the park, right? And, and suddenly it's like we all have a little bit more spring to our step, right? Our waiting is different. We know that, that you'll see the crocus flower and you can count on it in Chicago. The next week it'll snow like 12 inches, right? So there is more snow on the way, but there's also that hope. And that hope changes how you wait. Those long faces have suddenly turned into smiles. And that's what we read about in Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah 11, we are reminded uh, of, of the crocus flower. We are told that into the midst of our hopeless world, God descended. And into the midst of that abandoned, forgotten vineyard, we read about this little sprout, this little shoot that came forth out of that nothingness. And, and what we know, looking back on what Isaiah wrote, was that that sprout was actually a person, and that that person was Jesus. You see, Jesus is our crocus flower. <laughs> Jesus has come, brothers and sisters. And, and when you see Jesus, when you have the crocus flower, you know that it, it looks small, right? When Jesus came into this world, When he sprouted forth into our brokenness, he looked small. He was a little baby born in a little manger to a teenage mom, and he walked around this earth with a small 12 bands of disciples, and he would die on a cross. It didn't look like much when Jesus came. Just like the crocus are are so small, you might miss them, and they get covered with the snow. But, But one day, that sprout of Jesus will bloom and blossom and flourish. Jesus is our crocus flower, reminding us of the abundant life that is waiting for us, that we have hope that all is not lost. (laughs) So here's what I think, and here's where we'll land the plane here this morning. Uh, Here's what I think. I think it's our job as Christians to first look for the crocus flower, keep our eyes open to see Jesus because he has come, and we have hope, and all is not lost. There is this eternal spring coming for us of life and love and grace and mercy and justice and righteousness. So our first job as Christians is to see Jesus. But then I think it's our job to, to go ahead and, and to pick that crocus flower <laughs> and to take Jesus and, and to carry him with us wherever we go, right? To bring that crocus flower, to bring Jesus into all of the hopeless places of our lives, to, to bring him with us to the kitchen table where the bills are piled up and, and the debt only seems to be growing and to bring the hope of him into that otherwise hopeless place. 
I think it's our job as Christians to go ahead and pick the flower and to take Jesus into our funeral homes where, where death seems to be the end of the story, but we're reminded that there's so much more life to come, that the grave is not the end, right? We pick the crocus flower as Christians and we take Jesus into the doctor room where the diagnosis looks terrible. We, we, we take Jesus into our offices and our cubicles, into our coffee shops and, and our dry cleaners, wherever we go, wherever the hope of Jesus needs to be shared. I know it feels sometimes like winter will never end, especially now when it started snowing in October. But the crocus flower has bloomed, and Jesus has come. And so you have hope, which changes how you wait. <laughs> Our waiting is never the same, because we know what's coming, the life and the love of Jesus there in abundance for us. In Jesus' name, amen.